let's jump right in. We are going to be in Ephesians chapter number 2. We finished up chapter 1 uh, last time, and we will pick up in chapter 2 uh, in verse number 1. So one thing that before we get started that I want to say about chapter 2 is there's kind of a theme in chapter 2 all the way uh, through the entire chapter, and that theme that uh, the Apostle Paul is really driving home is that we are not what we used to be. So think about that as we go through here. Paul's, Paul's going to give us the bad news, and he's going to tell us what we were. Then he's going to give us the good news and tell us what we are. Then he's going to give us even better news and tell us about the future. So we're going to see um, in verse 1 through 3, uh, he talks about the past, what we were. And then in verse 4 through 6, uh, he talks about the present. And then in 7 through 10, we will see that he talks about the future. So let's read verses 1 down through verse number 3. So Paul says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So when we see here in verse number one, he says that he hath quickened us. He said, and you hath he quickened uh, who were dead in trespasses and sin. Now that word quickened means made alive. So he made us alive whenever uh, we become a Christian, whenever we accept the Lord Jesus Christ and, and salvation comes upon us and the Holy Spirit of God moves in, then he makes us alive. It says that we were dead in trespasses and sin. So that word dead there, obviously uh, before we were saved, we weren't physically dead. But what he was saying is that we were spiritually dead. That's why there must be a new birth. There must be, uh, as we uh, have said before, that Jesus said, you must be born again. You've got to have that second birth. So when we think about being dead, uh, you know, just like a person that is physically dead, they can't understand a conversation, they have no appetite or desire for food, a spiritually dead person cannot understand a spiritual conversation. They have no appetite for spiritual things. They, they have no appetite for the Bible. They have no appetite for preaching. They have no appetite for teaching. Those are people that are spiritually dead. Just like we would not expect a physically dead person to get hungry and desire food, we cannot expect a spiritually dead person to have a desire for the teachings and the Word of God. Now, a doctor can do great things for a patient. When a patient's sick, all of us have been sick and went to the doctor, and the doctor in their wisdom uh, has been able to prescribe the right medication or the right treatment uh, and 
sometimes is able to make us better. Sometimes uh, they do great things. Uh, but once a person is dead, the only thing that the doctor can do is send them to the morgue. There's nothing else that the doctor can do. The doctor cannot uh, bring life back into that body. But you see, that's the greatness of God was he takes us who are dead and makes us alive. So the doctors try to treat us to keep us alive, but once we die, their hands are tied. There's nothing they can do. But what God does is he takes those that are dead and he quickens us and makes us alive. Now, he goes on to say that he's quickened us who were dead in trespasses and sins. So this is where we were spiritually dead. So what are trespasses and sins? Well, a trespass is um, a slip, a fall, an, un an unintentional error. And then sins, uh, that word sins, it means a moral sin, choosing to do wrong. So what Paul is saying here is that he quickened us because we were dead in trespasses and sins. So even if we did not intentionally sin, we still slip and fall because we have a fallen nature. We're born fallen uh, because of the sin that Adam and Eve committed in the Garden of Eden. Now, I want to give you an example of this. If you're on a mountain and you're walking next to a cliff, you can accidentally slip and fall to your death off the cliff. Or on that mountain, you can choose to jump, intentionally jump off of that cliff. Now, it doesn't matter if you accidentally slip and fall or if you jump, you're still just as dead. So that's what we need to think about when we think about our spiritual life. It doesn't matter if people intentionally sinned or if it was a slip up, they're still just as spiritually dead. So they were born, we, all of us were born spiritually dead because of the transgression of Adam and Eve. So it doesn't matter whether it's an intentional error or an unintentional error it still makes people just as dead. Uh, before we were saved, we were dead in those mistakes and unintentional errors, and we were dead in sins, which are those intentional violation of God's laws. Now, when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, they chose to sin. They, they jumped it wasn't an accident, okay? So now the devil uh, is a liar. He deceived Eve, but they initially chose to do that. And because they did that, humanity, all of humanity, lost the ability to live free from sin. So every person that has ever been born... Uh, has been born as sinful flesh. We became sinful flesh because of that fall. Uh, Romans chapter 5, uh, verse number 12 says, Whereas by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for all of sin. So 
a person can say, well, I've lived a good life. I've done, I've done the best I can. Uh, I've, you know, been a good person. I'm a moral person. I don't mistreat my wife. I don't mistreat other people. I don't cheat, lie, and steal. Surely God would honor that. What does, it's not that God doesn't appreciate the good things that people do. You're still spiritually dead. You were born spiritually dead. You've never had a spiritual birth. And that's what is required because of the sins of Adam and Eve. All humanity has been corrupted. And then in verse 19 uh, in Romans chapter 5, he says, For by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So how are we made righteous? Because I come to church, I'm righteous. But No, I'm righteous because the Lord Jesus Christ saved me and he forgave me of my sins. It's through him that we have righteousness. Now, when we get into verse 2 and 3, uh, what we're going to see is Paul lists three forces that causes people to sin. So one of those is the world, the other one is the devil, and then we have the flesh. So let's look at each one of those. So in verse number two, he said, wherein, so wherein what? Wherein that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He said, wherein in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So there's where he's talking about the world and Satan. And then in verse number three, he gets into the flesh. So we're going to stop right there. So in time past, you walked according to the course of this world. Now, when, he's, when the Bible here is talking about the world, what it means is the world system. The, the, the world system is not set up for us to promote. It doesn't promote righteousness. It promotes sin. There's not a government on this planet that has ever existed that promoted righteousness as opposed to sin. And every government that has ever risen up and ever fallen, you look at, uh, you look at Rome, at one time they were the greatest, awesomest power on, on the planet. What was the fall of Rome? Did they get defeated by some great enemy? No, sin from within corrupted them and the, the, the whole nation fell, uh, and that's exactly uh, where I think that our country is headed. So the world system puts pressure on a person and makes them be controlled by its own values and attitudes, either consciously or unconsciously. So what happens? It, it's even more prevalent today than it's ever been. What happens if somebody speaks out and the the world rejects that they get attacked you put something on facebook or you stand up and you speak out against something that the government does wrong or something that's not right you get attacked um i remember when um the coronavirus and everything first came out um billy graham's uh, uh son franklin graham he sent, uh, he's got a, a whole a ministry that they do, and they set up tents, medical tents, there in New York City. And they, they were 
weren't charging anybody. They weren't charging the city. They weren't charging people. It was free health care, and they had some of the best doctors and, and all that. And what? They didn't do anything. They didn't say anything. They just set up tents trying to help people, and they were attacked. They were attacked viciously because they were Christians. They were attacked, said that they were uh, that they hated homosexuals and that they hated um, transgender people. They weren't saying any of that stuff. And they interviewed Franklin Graham, and he said, "We've never said any of that. We're just here to help people. We're just..." And so they didn't even want free medical care because it was coming from a Christian. That's that's the world system. The world system is anti-God. It's not something new, okay? It has always been that way. The, the United States of America is probably the first government system outside of the, the Jews themselves that actually founded, our country was actually founded on biblical Christian principles. Now, we've gotten far away from it to where we are now. But that's the world system. The world system is anti-God. Uh, see, and that's the funny thing about it is you can talk about any religion you want. You can talk about Muhammad. You can talk about Buddha. You can, you can be a Muslim. You can be at any religion as long as it doesn't involve the name Jesus Christ is okay. But the moment that you start talking about Jesus Christ, suddenly, you know, you are uh, some kind of barbarian and you have to be attacked and you have to be run out. That's why they're, they've taken the prayer out of schools. They want the uh, uh, Ten Commandments taken down. All, anything that has to do with God whatsoever has to be banished. We have to understand that is a corrupt world system. That's not just our country. That's the world system. And that's what Paul's talking about here. You walked in time past, before, you, before we were Christians, in time past, we walked according to the course of this world, according to the world system. That's why in 1 John, he says, Love not the world, neither things that are in the world. Uh, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. These things were in the original sin in the Garden of Eden. When you talk about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So what is the lust of the flesh? That is physical pleasures. And the lust of the eyes, those are visual pleasures. And then the pride of life, that's ego or self-esteem. So where was that in the Garden of Eden? Well, if you read in Genesis chapter number 3, it says that Eve saw that the tree was good for food. Physical, lust of the flesh. It would taste good. Then she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. It looked good. Then it also said that she saw that it was a tree to be desired to make one wise. It'll taste good, it looks good, and it'll make me smart. Is that not the fall that happened to Adam and Eve? Is that not the fall that happens to us still yet today? You see, Satan, he is clever and he's smart and he's mischievous but his tactics haven't changed it's still the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life so then it gets into in the second part of verse number two he starts talking about the devil he said uh, walked according to the course of this world 
according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So how do we know that he's talking about Satan here? You say, well, the prince of the power of the air, it, isn't Jesus in control? Isn't God in control? Well, the thing about it is, the devil is in control of the world system, and he's the prince of the power of the air. In John chapter 8, uh, Jesus was speaking of Satan, and he said that he's a liar and he's the father of it. And then he went on to, in chapter 12 and called him the prince of this world. So what is a prince? A prince is the one that's second in command. The king is in command and the prince is second in command. We have to understand who Lucifer was and who Lucifer is. Lucifer was the head of everything, second only to God himself. That's why he wanted to, uh, he wanted to promote himself above God and he wanted to take over heaven and he deceived one third of the angels. But what he didn't realize was as powerful as he was, as great as he was, God was even greater because God was the creator of all things, including him, and he lost that battle. So he's a liar and he, he is a cheat and that's he's the prince, uh, but he's the prince of this world. So when he's talking here, Paul says that the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that works in the children of disobedience, we have to understand that it's Satan that is the driving force behind the hatred of Jesus Christ in this world. He's the driving force of all our problems. He's the driving force of sin. He's the driving force of everything that's evil on this world. Now, he lies to the saved to convince us to disobey God. And he lies to the unsaved to convince them that they don't need God. And he usually mixes in a little bit of truth with the lie. You see... Because if you go back to the Garden of Eden, what did um, Satan do? He used God's words. He said, did God not say you could eat of every tree? Did God say that? Absolutely. That's exactly what God said. And then Eve said, he said we could eat of every tree except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. <laughs> See, so she corrected him. So, listen... Will the devil today use the word of God to cause us to go astray? Absolutely. Why do you think that we have um, so many different versions of the Bible? Why do you think we have so many different religions? Why do we have so many different denominations? It's because if Satan cannot stop Christians from spreading the gospel, at least he can confuse us and get us to spread the wrong gospel. And people will still die and go to hell believing that they're okay. So that's why it's important for things like tonight when we can come together and we can study the Word of God and rightly divide the Word of truth and know what the Word of God said. That's why in Ephesians chapter 6 he said, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And that word wiles means trickery or deceit. So he's, he's deceitful. And it also says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's the battleground on which we face. So we face the devil every day. We face the world and the world society that hates God, and we 
and we face the devil and all the demons of hell, the spiritual wickedness in high places, that's what we fight against and what we have to guard against. Then in verse number three, he goes on and he talks about the third thing that causes us to sin, and that's the flesh. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now, it's very important to understand in verse number three to, to really notice how it starts and how it ends. So it starts out by saying, among whom also we all had our conversation. So everybody, Paul says me, you, the pastor, the preacher, the pope, all, everybody in time past had their conversation uh, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And then at the end, he says that, and we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So what Paul's saying is, look, we're all in the same boat. We were all in the same boat. And sometimes as Christians, we can look at the world with disdain. We can look at the lost world, and we can look at lost people. We call them sinners sometimes, but I don't like calling lost people sinners because I've got news for you. We're saved, and we're still sinners. We still sin. We're not, we're not sin-free. We're just forgiven. <laughs> we're, 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 we don't have the penalty of sin on us, but we still have sin. So lost people, a lot of times we can look at them with disdain, and we forget that we used to be exactly like them. We were in the exact same situation. But so many times as Christians, it's so easy to get lifted up with pride and it's so easy to look down on the world and uh, condemn. So this word conversation means manner of life or conduct. He said that we all had our conversation, our manner of life in times past, going after the lust of the flesh, uh, so the word flesh carries several meanings, just like a lot of words can mean different things. So I can say, I was flying to get here. Well, that either means I was in an airplane or it means I was driving really, really fast. You see, that word flying can have different meanings based on how I use it. So this word flesh here can carry different meanings. It can mean the body, the physical body, you know, our skin and muscles that we can touch and see. It also means uh, human nature, uh, and it can also mean a human being. We could say something like, well, after all, he's just flesh and bone. That means he's, that we're just human. So here, what the Apostle Paul is talking about, when he says the lust of the flesh, we have to understand that he's not talking about our physical body. What he's talking about is our human nature, because your flesh, your physical skin and bone has never caused you to sin. So when we say the flesh causes us to sin and the desires of the flesh, not talking about the skin, it's talking about our human nature, our mind. We, 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 our mind is what desires that for to gratify physically sometimes the feel good of the flesh, just like Eve said that she saw it would taste good, the fruit would taste good. So when he says that we're uh, in the past, we lived in 
the past and the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And then listen to what he said, and of the mind. So that's where he's getting back to the human nature. It is human nature to want to do wrong. You say, but Terry, why did God create us to want to do wrong? He did not. We, that came upon us. We were born that way because Adam and Eve, whenever they sinned, they corrupted all of humanity. So what we have to realize is when we look around and we see the world that we live in, and I hear people say it, you've heard people say it, why would God allow this to happen to a child? Why would God allow that to happen? If God's such a God of love, why does he allow people to murder? Why does he allow people to get sick? Why does he allow cancer? This, this uh, young lady, she didn't do anything. She was a good person and she got cancer. Why does God allow that? God, God did never intend that. God created Adam and Eve as perfect, sinless human beings. They had no physical problems in the flesh. They were, they were immortal. They were going to live forever. So when we say, why is the world in the shape that it's in, we have to understand that it's not because God created it that way. It's because we corrupted it. So let me give you an example. If, if I go, if somebody goes and buys a brand new car and they have it for five or six years, and then we see that car. It doesn't matter if it's a Toyota, Ford, Chevy, whatever it was. And we look at that car and it's got dents and scratches and the bumper's missing and you know the windshield's cracked and all this kind of stuff. And we say, how in the world would Ford allow a car to be like that? Can you believe that Ford sent out a car with dents and scratches and, and uh, all the, the bumper missing and the window cracked and everything else? You gotta understand. That car was in pristine condition when they took it home. It didn't have a scratch on it. It ran perfect. The bumper wasn't missing. The window was So how did it get in that shape? Whoever bought it messed it up. They ran it into trees and they did all that stuff. You got to understand, when God handed the world to Adam, it was in pristine condition. It was perfect. There was no mistakes. There was no flaws. And when, when we look around and we say, why did God do this? God says, no, 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 no. Why did you do this? When we see the shape that this world in, it's not God's fault. It's our fault. It's humanity's fault. Because God gave it to us perfect. And we messed it up. So why do kids get cancer? Why do people get sick? It's because of sin. It's because Adam and Eve corrupted the entire planet and that's why. It's not because God's not a loving God. It's because we messed it up. Ford did not create that car that way. We made that car that way by not taking care of it. <clears throat> so he says here that we go after the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, and of the mind. And it goes on to say, and were by nature the children of wrath. That goes into the human nature that we were talking about. We were by nature this way. We by nature uh, have a corrupt mind and a corrupt uh, thought process and a corrupt world system. Alright, so then in verse number 4 we get into uh, where Paul starts getting into the present. And it's amazing uh, if you really think about it that if you just read verses 1 through 3, you would be kind of depressed <laughs> and say, wow, this is all messed up. We, 
you know, we're dead in trespasses and sin. We walked according to the uh, course of this world by the prince of the power of the air. And we had our conversation in time past uh, of the lust of the flesh, desires of the flesh. We're just, this is a messed up situation. And then in verse number four, he says, but God, <laughs> but God, who is rich in mercy, because we're great people. Why did he do this? He's rich in mercy because Greg's a good guy. Nope. He's rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Now, this word love right here is from the Greek word that is agape. Most of us have heard the agape love of God. We've heard the word agape. If you've been in church any amount of time at all, you've probably heard that word. But that doesn't mean that you understand what it means. All right? So this word agape is usually, when this word is used, it is usually speaking about the love of God. It's the most perfect, highest form of love that there is. This word agape appears in Scripture 106 times. The interesting thing is that 24 of those times the translators did not translate it as love. So all the other times it was translated from the Greek agape as love, but 24 times it was translated into the English word charity. So why was it charity? Well, because it means the same thing. When we think of love and we think of charity, to us, those two things may mean different. But this agape love means the same thing so it is the greatest kind of love and the, the reason why it's the greatest kind of love is because charity expects nothing in return you see i may give somebody a hundred dollar bill and what do i expect for that hundred dollars i expect them to come pressure wash my house or i expect them to come and do work for me or I expect them to pay me back. And sometimes I expect them to pay me back with interest, right? But when, when we give to charity, we write a check or we take a $100 bill and we give it to the charity, what do we expect from the charity? We expect them to come to our house and do some work? Do we expect them to pay us that money back? No. You see, when we give to charity, no strings attached. Expects nothing in return. That's the agape love of God. So when this word agape is translated 24 times as charity, it's because God's love is a one-way love. He gives it and he expects nothing in return. He did not say, I'll save you if. I'll save you when. I'll forgive you if. It was, I'll save you and I'll forgive you. No strings attached. Nothing. It's the agape love. It's the charity love. It depicts the greatest kind of love, the love that expects nothing in return. Now, do we owe God? Absolutely. Should we do things to serve God? Absolutely. But we have to understand His love for us was not dependent on what He could get out of us. He didn't save us so that we would work for Him. He doesn't save somebody thinking, now I've got another worker, somebody I can put to work out there in the field. That's not God's viewpoint. And here's the thing that we have to understand. A person can get saved and never do anything for God. They will not have a prosperous life. They will not have a happy life. 
but they will still be saved. Because God did not say, I'll save you as long as you keep the faith, as long as you do these things. And we're going to see that as we go down in this chapter a little bit more. But agape is a one-way love. It is no strings attached. And it is the love that always describes the love of God. All right, so we will wrap up there in verse number four and pick up next time in verse five.